couple of important things. Sunday morning jokes. My emotional support animal is a chicken. A four-piece with a biscuit. Now, I pray peace and no offense over this next one, but I had to do it. And Kelly cleared it, okay? If my body was a car, I would trade it in for a new model. Because every time I cough or sneeze, my radiator leaks and my exhaust backfires. We probably won't send that one out on YouTube. Oh, and very important news right off the, the uh, news desk. As of uh, about 7.40 last night, one of my grandsons, who happens to be coached by one of my sons, and his basketball team won the state age group basketball championship. Yeah, hurrah! Yeah, yeah, so they... They started off real slow when they were behind. It looks, oh my gosh, but then he made a little switch and changed a couple of players and they tore them up. It was, played a very good team, but it was, it was really fun. In fact, usually I sit there and pretty nice and quiet. I was yelling last night, man. I, Come on, Max. So, let's go, dude. Praise God. Am I going to use that? Okay, is this what I'm doing? Are we alive? Okay, we are alive. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to share this morning, as you, uh, those of you that have seen it and looked at the text and everything, uh, on the unknown prince of preachers. This is about a man who uh, was called a prince of preachers that probably not too many of you know about. As you know, this is winding up Black History Month in the next day or two. And I wanted to make sure that we took a special recognition to someone in the ministry field that hasn't been recognized over the years uh, in history or even Christian history to, to uh, a good extent. And I've, I found one I think you're going to enjoy learning about him today. So uh, the, we're not going to have a lot of scripture verses this morning, so your assignment for next week is to have Psalms 119 memorized. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, 150 verses, so good luck with that. Uh, ben Carson uh, recently said, Black History Month is upon us. Some will attempt to use it as a tool to push divisive agendas such as critical race theory or Black Lives Matter. But we must avoid such ideologies and remain focused on what unites us as a nation, regardless of race. Indeed, it is wrong to assume that black history must only involve black Americans. Amen. Every moment of greatness in our history belongs to all Americans because the fruits of those triumphs have blessed all of us. This applies to Washington crossing the Delaware, the Constitutional Convention, and other events not typically acknowledged as black history. These all belong to the black story as well. We did a, a, a history lesson a few months ago on a Wednesday night about some black history things that were just, man, they were great. At the same time, continuing with Ben Carson, at the same time, there are both triumphs and tragedies that have been specific to the black experience. 
the beautiful resistance against government tyranny that occurred at the Boston Tea Party was largely spurred by the killing of a black U.S. Army soldier, Crispus Attucks, by the British. I uh, lived in Ponca City growing up, and uh, the school there is named Attucks. Gospel, jazz, and blues are beautiful. World-unique musical forms that were born out of the black experience in America. Let us celebrate those and other such triumphs during this month. Yet there are also tragedies that affect the black population more than other groups. The crime rate is significantly higher, as is the prevalence of fatherless homes, uh, STDs, and discipline issues at school. You know, I think it's so important that what we do is to look at history and take out the things that don't count, and that means the things that never happened because there's some of that stuff in there. But not throw out some of the things that did happen that some people don't like, but it's true. Because the only way we can learn from history is to learn the truth in history. So what we need to do is leave in the bad stuff, regardless of who it's about, and bring in the complete perspective of truth, not just racially weighed one way or the other. But whatever is true, let's do it. People, one of my mentors said, the only thing you learn from history is you don't learn from history. And I would like to say that I think that we need to have a recognition of history because we do learn from it. You know, after all, there's only two things in life, reflection of the past and anticipation of the future. So if we learn from history, we need to learn from whole history. Okay, does that make sense? Are you with me this morning? That's, it's important that we know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I know how not to do some things because of some other people who did some things, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to be involved in that mess. And I've learned to do some things because some other men and women stood up in various times and stood for our truth, for justice, for the things that count. And Jesus addressed that issue. He said, you should obey the weightier things of the law. So I've enjoyed learning many things uh, about black history this year. Uh, in order to do so, I've listed mostly uh, black persons. And there's some great, great things that uh, we've overlooked. And we're going to bring those out. Just some, just one, one story today. But those things ought to be uh, out there. And we're going to actually, we're going to start a little library on, on black history. And so we've got uh, a few books right now. We've got some more coming. And we're going to make a check out on that. And anybody who wants to check one out can have it for a couple of weeks and then bring it back let somebody else read it. So uh, I think that's a, a good way to start, that we're going to do some things to, uh, to try to bring back a balance uh, of truth uh, in, uh, in the historical perspective, especially for those who are interested in history. And if you're not, you should be, uh, to whatever extent you want to be. But history and biographies are important issues. So how are you going to know some things? How would you know some things without the Old Testament? 
My gosh, all the stories in the Old Testament, how applicable they are to our lives today. How, how about if we didn't have the Old Testament? Then how would we know those things? So the difference is that we know the Bible's true for what it says. And we know that it's placed there for all of us, and it's cross-racial for sure. And the, the significance of that makes us better that we can take advantage and understand and grow. And like uh, Dr. Carson said, be united. So that's, um, that, that's, that goes without saying, we're, we're going to help make some changes for everybody here. And um, we're going to do that in a truthful, uh, to the best of we, our, our knowledge and abilities and the resources that we can come up with to anybody who wants to learn more about it. Uh, I think a lot of us uh, have known about a few prominent black uh, historical people. Uh, and I'm going to go down through a list here today, and I'm sure that there's some of these people you don't know, um, but I'm sure there's some people you do. Crispus Attucks, we just mentioned him. Isabella Bromfee, who became Sojourner, changed her name to Sojourner Truth. Heck of a lady. Uh, Frederick Doug Douglass, Harriet T Tubman, Amanda Smith, Booker T. Washington, Ida B. Wells, she helped found the NAACP, George Washington Carver, W.E.B. Du Bois, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Thurgood Marshall, Rosa Parks, Jackie Robinson. Interesting story there. Everything he endured to be the first black professional baseball player. Shirley Chisholm, Martin Luther King Jr., Barack Obama, and countless others. At the same time, I think that the black church in America and how so many slaves found peace and maintained such a loving spirit in the times of great duress and cruelty. I wanted to share something with you today about a great man or woman, like I said, who um, had a spiritual influence on the country. So we're going to, right now, we're going to talk about a man, uh, Dr. Uh, Ch uh, Charles Albert Finley. Tenley, I'm sorry, T-I-N-D-L-E-Y. And he also was a pastor with an evangelist heart, and he wrote a lot of hymns. Let's play one of those hymns. Just pay attention to the words, if you would. The man who wrote that hymn, as well as many, many others, he additionally pastored strong churches for the Lord. Again, Charles Albert Tenley. Not only called the Prince of Preachers, but also the Father of gospel music. I want to read from a little book uh, that was written originally by one of his sons, and it was printed originally in 1942 and reprinted recently in 2016. So the information's out there, you just have to dig for it a little bit. Praise God. I'm just going to read it word for word uh, in the introduction. The colored folks have given the world many illustrious names, such as Book Booker T. Washington, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Amanda Smith, 
George Washington Carver, and not least among these is the name Charles Albert Tinley, Doctor of Divinity, lovingly called the Prince of Colored Preachers. One of his friends paid tribute to him in the following words, Dr. Tinley is one of the most loved men of his race. He is a veritable giant, six feet two, weighing 230 pounds, rugged, honest, humble, compassionate. There's about him a simplicity and a dignity of soul that suggests the thought of a Lincoln in Ebony, as the white friends of Tinley have designated him. When Bennett College gave him the degree of Doctor of Divinity, he said, I am still a humble student endeavoring to improve myself every day. He's full of quaint wisdom. When he took his examination for ministry, he was sexton of the church that he afterwards returned to serve as pastor for more than 30 years and to build into the great Tenley Temple. At a time of the examination of a bumptious colored man, a college graduate who was also to take the examination contemptuously inquired of Tenley, how do you expect to pass this examination? I and other candidates hold diplomas in our hands. What do you hold? Nothing but a broom, replied Tenley, who had just left sweeping. Tenley passed second among a large class of candidates, all of whom were schoolmen. A prominent white Philadelphian said of him, The man is an inspiration. His very soul sings. Out of the life of pathos and sunshine, of struggle and achievement, have come such cheering and comforting songs as, I'll overcome someday. We'll understand it better by and by. Go wash in the beautiful stream. And what are they doing in heaven today? The record of his life is an inspiration to all classes of people. The courage and determination with which he faced the trials and difficulties of early life will help all those to travel the way of adversity. The modest, unassuming spirit with which he met worldwide fame as an outstanding preacher, lecturer, leader, and songwriter is a lesson in humility for every Christian. At a time when his Sunday school was the largest in Methodism, his church membership one of the largest in the world, and he was preaching regularly to standing room only. Congregations three times each Sunday. I imagine the service was not real short either. In answer to a questionnaire, he ascribed his great success, not to natural attributes, but to a great endowment of the Holy Spirit. Another deeply inspiring phase of his life is the example of childlike faith with which he carried his many heavy burdens to the Lord. Paved through seemingly insurmountable difficulties and obtained practical wisdom to bud and listen to a church having a, the rhyme of his, at his death of 12,500. So this was basically 120 years ago. He, was, um, he had that many members. He had uh, an assistant pastor and 49 local preachers. 
The poems at the close of each of these chapters of his book have been taken from a collection of his writings entitled New Songs of Paradise, which have been a great blessing and help to many people. One of the most pretentious photographs, excuse me, one of the most precious photographs to be included in this chapter of introduction is that now a decade after his homegoing, all six of Dr. Tenley's surviving children are Christians and still associated in Christian work. The youngest son, Professor Albert T. Tenley, upon whom his father prayed his mantle, might fall on his carrying on an evangelistic ministry, singing his father's heartfelt songs of the gospel to many congregations throughout the land. And that would put it back about uh, 60 to 90 years ago. Dr. Tenley's remarkable ministry is a modern miracle of the grace of God. It began in the experience described in one of his own favorite songs. I have found at last a Savior. I have found at last a Savior of whom I've often heard, and I have the precious favor he has promised in his word. Oh, the joy that comes to me and the power makes me free. My soul is filled with praises. Tis a year of jubilee. I have promised I would follow, however rough the way. Leaving all things of tomorrow, I will trust him just today. For the morning doth appear, which will banish every fear. I shall see the land of Beulah with my eyes undimmed by tears. Kelly? Pastor Kelly's going to relate a couple of stories for you. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we're uh, reading from the Prince of Colored Preachers, okay, the life of Charles Albert Tindley uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The boy with the bare feet. Charles Albert Tindley was born on the eastern shore of Maryland in the small town of Berlin, Worcester County, July 7th of 1851. He was born in slavery and when about the age of five years, soon after his mother's death, was separated from his father, taken to the little town of Janessa, Maryland, where he was held in slavery. There, in an old-fashioned brick house which faced the Chesapeake Bay, this young Negro boy grew up among strangers, and as it must have appeared to him in a new strange world. The people who then owned him proved to be very cruel and would not permit him to have a book nor to go to church. When he would find bits of old newspapers while walking along the roadside, he would pick them up and put them in his bosom as he had no pockets in order to study each letter after everyone had retired. At times during the day, he would gather pine knots, and when the people were asleep, would light these pine knots. Then, with the poor light these burning knots would afford him, he would use fire coals as pencils and would mark all the words he could make out on the bits of newspapers he had collected, lying flat on his stomach to prevent being seen by anyone who might still be about. A young white lad about the same age as Tindley became very chummy with him and was his only teacher in his struggle for an education. This white boy was Calvin B. Taylor, who later became Berlin, Maryland's leading banker. This method of procuring an education was so crude that Tindley was 17 years of age before he could spell out the word cat. 
He continued in this way, however, until he could read the Bible almost without stopping to spell the words. There was a growing desire within the breast of Charles A. Tindley to go to church. On Saturday morning, he would go down to the Chesapeake Bay, and with ashes, he would wash his only shirt in the bay, hang it on the limb of a tree, and then would stand in the shade of the trees to keep the hot sun from his bare back until his shirt was dry enough to put on. This Saturday, could go, he could, uh, wash took place with the hope that on Sunday he could go to church. One Sunday, after he had driven the cattle to pasture, an, uncon- uh, an uncontrollable impulse came urging him to go to church. He had no shoes and no coat to wear. His pants, if such as he had on could be described as that, were uh, as had been toe, uh, was made of tow linen. He had patched them as best he could with this outfit, including the shirt he had washed the day before. Though not iron nor very clean, he started to the church, praying all the way for the chance to slip into the gallery without being seen and hide behind some boxes that were stored there, and in that way he could hear the sermon. When he was approaching the church, he began to think of himself in the light of fitness to enter a church on Sunday. The first thing he discovered to be out of order for the Lord's house was his bare feet. They seemed larger than ever, and they were not clean. He proceeded to wash them in a ditch that contained a little water, then dried them with a handful of leaves and continued to church. He remained contented behind the boxes until the speaker, who was a missionary, called for all the boys and girls who could read the Bible to come to the front. One big lump after another arose in his throat as he thought of what he should do. Wasn't he one who could read the Bible? No one in the church knew that but himself. So he rolled up a big resolution and started down from the gallery. The church was that of a white congregation, and there is no need to say that this action came very near breaking up the morning service. The people hissed and cleared their throats and did many other things to get his attention. But with eyes on the speaker, he made right for the front and the missionary, a true ambassador of the Lord, permitted him to come on and wait his turn to read the lesson. When the lesson was read, he returned to his place in the gallery, but not to hide, for all the people were watching and whispering about the boy with the bare feet. From that first experience in church, his ambition to be educated knew no bounds. He would plow all day in the field and in the evening would walk and run 14 miles going and coming to get to the school teacher who was kind enough to give him lessons. Through such methods and means, he obtained information until he was able to leave Maryland to go to Philadelphia. After his arrival in Philadelphia, he became employed by a building contractor as a hod carrier, and for slightly over three years, he worked at that job during the day and studied as much as he could at night. During the same time, he was sexton of the old Bainbridge M.E. Storefront Mission on Bainbridge Street, below 12th Street in Philadelphia. He had made up his mind to learn at least one new thing, a thing he did not know the day before, each day. He kept that rule until his death. In 1880, he was married to Anna Daisy Henry, and to this union there were born 12 children, six boys and six girls. With every dollar he could spare, he would buy a book that would help fit him to pass the examination for the ministry, of which he was successful in 1885. 
He was admitted on trial in the Delaware Conference of the Methodist Episcopal Church. By correspondence, he entered all the schools which his limited means would afford and sought to keep up the studies with any pupil who studied in the schoolroom. He was able to attend the Brandywine Institute and to finish its theological course. By correspondence, he took the Greek course through the Boston Theological School and the Hebrew under Professor Speaker through the Hebrew Synagogue on North Broad Street in Philadelphia. He took studies in science and literature as a private student because he was unable to attend the universities where these subjects were taught. Thus, while he was unable to go through the schools, he was able to let the school go through him. He was sent to Cape May, New Jersey, to take over his first appointment, and it was here that one of the greatest experiences of his life took place. Cape May was experiencing a heavy snowstorm, and in a humble cottage around the dining room table were a mother and father, and in two high chairs were a small girl and boy, waiting to be given their morning food. It was the home of the new preacher, Charles A. Tindley, and his family. They had no food except a stale piece of bread and had decided to dip that in some water, for they had no milk. Soften it up a bit, then break it into pieces to give to Mary and Frederick. As for themselves, they were not going to eat anything. In the front room was another baby daughter, who had passed away the night before. Her name was Eleonora, and having no funds with which to bury her, they were faced with a problem. Charles Tindley asked his wife to set the table as though she had the food to put in the dishes, She was reluctant to do so at first, but finally she agreed. After the table had been set, he said, Now, let us get on our knees and have our morning prayer. He thanked God for being alive and for their health and strength, for the sunshine and the snowstorm that was raging outside. Not once did he complain about the shortage of provisions, but he thanked God for what they had. Then, getting up from their knees and seating themselves at the table, and while in the attitude of saying grace over the food that was not there, surely that was faith. For in Hebrews 11.1, we read, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They heard a man commanding his team of horses, Whoa! Whoa! Then getting out and coming up to the house, Kicking his boots against the sill of the door to get the snow off, he hollered, Hey, is anybody alive in there? Getting up from the table and getting to the door to answer the call, Charles Tindley beheld a white gentleman with a large sack of provisions on his shoulder. Slinging it down to the floor, he said, Knowing you were the new parson here and knowing how you were making out in this storm, my wife and I thought you might need some food. I've cartload of wood right out here, too. I'll dump it, and, and I'll be on my way. Tindley, with tears streaming down his face, thanked the man and said to him, You're an answer to prayer, sir, for we didn't have anything to eat except a stale crust of bread, and had decided to dip that in water to soften it up and give to my children. Our daughter, Eleonora, is in the front room dead, and we haven't the means to bury her. We're not going to worry, though, for we know God will provide a way. The man was surprised and shocked to learn that there was a dead girl. And he said, don't worry, I'll have to go now, but I'll be back and see to it that your child has a decent burial. It was during the night of that same day after everyone had gone to bed, seated in a rocker, thinking of the blessings of the day, he was inspired to write the song, God Will Provide for Me. Thank you. 
He made a way. He made a way. <laughs> when your back was against the wall and you thought it was over, he made a way. I'm going to read one more uh, story. And um, he speaks not only of the faith he had in God, but this also speaks to us about a heavenly father that heard his supplication and answered it immediately. In fact, he was probably already in the process of doing it when they were, they were there thanking God for it. And the guy may have gone down the street, somebody else, who knows. God will make every one of your needs, every one of them, if you're distrusting him. Praise God. Oh, by the way, this next chapter is called The Lord Will Make the Way. That song was chosen on purpose. After serving Cape May, New Jersey, for two years, his next appointment to a church was in Odessa, Delaware. Because God had, had so miraculously blessed his ministry on his first charge, he went forth to fill his second with a stronger determination, not knowing he was to again encounter another great experience. Charles Tenley, six feet two inches tall and very slender, had been suffering with a lung condition that caused him to have a hemorrhage after each sermon. He tried to conceal this from his family as much as possible, stating each time that it occurred it was simply a case of overtaxation on his throat and wasn't anything to be worried over. Secretly, it did worry him, for he, released, uh, for he realized that each time he suffered from a hemorrhage, it left him weaker than before. And if this continued, he'd soon collapse. One Monday morning after a restless night and feeling discouraged over his condition, he decided to end all in preference of becoming a burden to his family. Kissing them all goodbye, as was his custom when he left his house to take care of his pastoral duties. He went out into the woods and, seating himself beneath a tree, began sharpening his knife. His attention was attracted by a bird singing up the same tree under which he was seated. If I was Kelly reading this, I'd make the bird whistle, but anyway... Forgetting his troubles, for the moment he began talking to the bird. Suddenly he realized that the bird had not a soul like himself, nor a heaven to go to when death came, yet could be so happy and sing so beautifully that he became ashamed of himself for being a coward, not having enough faith in his heavenly father whenever trials came upon him. Putting away his knife, he began to pray for forgiveness. And if he had been called to preach the gospel to heal him of this illness. Getting to his feet, he walked slowly out of the woods, wondering how close he had come to committing an unpardonable sin if he had not been for the singing of that bird. He was not aware of the direction in which he was going until he discovered he was near the home of a homopathic doctor and was impressed to go in. He asked the doctor to fill a prescription, then proceeded to advise him what to mix. 
The doctor looked at him very strangely and asked, who gave him such a prescription? And, and he refused to fill it unless he signed his name and address, releasing him from all blame if anything should happen. He signed the release, the prescription was filled, and the medicine healed him completely. He tried many times to remember the prescription he had asked for that day, but could not. Without doubt, it was given to him for this particular time only. Out of this experience was born the song, The Lord Will Make a Way. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, praise God. Hallelujah. Dr. Tenley was a pastor with the heart of an evangelist who wrote hymns. It makes me question myself, as I hope you do to yourself today. What am I doing for the Lord today? I want you to hear that same hymn again, this time sung by Tennessee Ernie Ford. I remember watching him as a young boy on his TV program. Uh, it was on weekly, and uh, this we're going back to the 50s, maybe early 60s. My mother especially lo loved to watch Tennessee Ernie Ford because he always closed every one of his shows out with a hymn. Yeah, Brother Tenley's influence affected many people years after his ascension to heaven, whether we know it or not. I'm sure I heard this hymn as a little boy. Didn't even know who wrote it. But now I do, and I praise God for it. Uh, I feel prompted this morning to be reminding us of uh, Psalm 37, verse 25. It says, I was once young and inexperienced, but now I'm old. But not once have I found a lover of God forsaken by him, nor have any of their children gone hungry. Let that go deep, deep, deep on the inside of our hearts. Hallelujah. Pray that over others. Hallelujah. What a powerful tribute. Hallelujah. And uh, let's just thank God. Let's thank God for that. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and bless you. We honor you and love you, Father, for this man. A great example, hallelujah, of how life can be very tragic and yet turn out in triumph in the end. And we just thank you and praise you, Father, for this man's impact upon lives, even to this day, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Pastor Dan, thank you so much for sharing and uh, releasing this uh, word of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, I want us to uh, kind of shift but not shift, okay? Uh, we, as you well know, we have a missions that we reach out to three different countries. Um, each and every month we highlight one of those countries. And this month we're going to highlight India. Everyone say India. And um, we have uh, two different, uh, is it two ministries in India? Uh, both of them last name, Easterdoss. We have Blessing Easterdoss, who actually came and visited a couple of years ago. Uh, and then uh, uh, the other one is Anointing. Is that his son or brother? Brother. brother. The whole family has names like that. 
Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I think one of the daughters is called Precious. <laughs> and and it's just, it just goes on and on. It's amazing. Uh, but anyway, uh, I wanted to read to you what he shared with us uh, just recently. And the pictures behind you, or behind me, pardon me, are um, pictures of uh, a ministry opportunity that they had just recently that I will be sharing. It says, thank you so much, Uncle. I would imagine that's Uncle Dan, Pastor Dan. This people have stayed under the bridge. They don't have any support. They are daily laborers that suffered a lot during the rainy season this year. We went and helped them with provisions. They don't have permanent jobs. We went and prayed for them and told them the gospel and helped them. We felt the awesome presence and grace of God. And so uh, the monies that we give to them, okay, they are able in turn to bless others and to be strengthened. And um, that's why we do this. Okay, that's the child of God at work. And even though we can't be there ourselves, we in some way can touch uh, others' lives. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. We've got to believe in our brothers and sisters. They are part of the body. And the bar- part of the body that we are works hand in hand with them. And they're able to accomplish things we may not be able to. Amen? Hallelujah. So, Father, we pray over the Easterdoss family, the ministries that you uh, have uh, afforded them and, and that they are stewards over. We pray that you will continue to do works, mighty works, miracles, signs, and wonders, but above all, salvations. Hallelujah. By the hundreds and thousands. Hallelujah. And that they would be able to touch hallelujah, lives more than what would be ever even imaginable or thought of. And we just praise you and thank you for their uh, protection. We cover them in the blood of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that uh, they will continue to be a part of expanding the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Let's, let's give the Lord another clap offering. Hallelujah for those people. Thank you, Father, for the Easter Doss family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, in uh, Luke chapter 6, verse number 38. Hallelujah. It makes it sound like I'm part of the sermon. <laughs> give. Everyone say give. Yeah. And it will be given back to you. It's a truth. Okay. Sometimes we take it and just like, oh, yeah, I've heard that scripture before. Um, be very careful when we get into that place. Give and it will be given back to you. They, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, with no space left for more. For with the standard of measurement you use, when you do good to others, it will be measured to you in return. So um, my heart is, is that when you give, when you give your tithes, you give your offerings, Okay, just remember, to the extent that you give, it'll be given back to you. Okay, so just remember that. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Remember, as we give, we can text to give. We online, we can give uh, on the screen right there. But also, don't forget if you have a need to, or you just want to do it through the card there in the back and and the envelope. We do it that way as well. Okay. Um, some an- announcements. Everyone say announcements. 
And when we do announcements, please don't turn your ears off suddenly. <laughs> and then think about that we have to go to Luby's or we have to go to, you know, Denny's or we're going to go to someone such and start talking to your wife or, you know, your friend or whatever and say, what do you plan to do? Okay. Okay. All of our announcements, okay, will help you to know what's ahead. So everyone look at one another and say, we want to know what's ahead. Okay? And part of the ways of knowing what's ahead, you can do that by following us on Facebook. Okay? Look at one of someone and say Facebook. Facebook. Okay? Subscribe on YouTube. Everyone say subscribe. Okay? Now, we only have 53 more subscribers, and we'll actually move on to our a next level where we will be able to then, uh, our, our uh, messages can be presented to larger groups of people. Just 53. Okay, and so just remember that, okay, and then just search Church of Tomorrow on YouTube and then click subscribe, that's all you need to do, and we'll be on audio-only platforms, like on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, uh, really soon, okay, so look forward to those times. Ladies and gentlemen, we're expanding, Okay, we're, we're not satisfied where we're at because we know our kingdom of God that we live in is always expanding. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, another thing, everyone say Wednesday. This Wednesday, we're going to be doing war, uh, our second in the series of, of worldviews. Okay, and it is a very powerful look at how people believe and why they do what they do. Do you want to know why some people are doing the weird, awful things that they're doing? It's because of their worldview. And if, if you're trying to be a Christian and then present your worldview based, world, uh, based upon something that's not built on Christ anyway, it's not going to do well. Hallelujah. So Wednesday, it's, uh, everyone say Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, does it start at 6.45? 6.45 for snacks, 7 o'clock is when we start in here, okay? Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, now, upcoming. Everyone say upcoming. And it's coming fast because guess what? The day after tomorrow is March. The day after tomorrow, okay? Of course, it was just Christmas yesterday. Yeah, okay? Uh, on the 12th, everyone say March 12th. That's a seven, That's a Saturday, and it starts at 8.45 is our prayer summit, okay? It is our second prayer summit. I encourage everyone to come, whether you love to pray or whether you're like, I don't know how to pray, or uh, I'd like to pray, or if you're anywhere in between, if you know people who love to pray, bring them along, okay? Because we're going to pray. It's going to deal with revival, reviving, okay? We need revival, I said we need revival. We need a move of God. We need a great awakening. Hallelujah. That's the only way we're going to be able to make it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, mm-hmm. Okay. It starts at 845 with a light breakfast. There'll be worship. There'll be some teaching. But mostly we're going to be praying. <laughs> at a prayer summit most of it's going to be praying okay <laughs> and then uh the next thing i want to share is on uh two weeks later on a saturday is going to be our women's event okay uh tony campers Jer pastor jerry camper's wife 
She has been confirmed to come uh, two weeks later, right there on the 26th of March. Okay, And so, ladies, you uh, get that set up in your calendars on the 26th of March uh, for Tony Campers. And then she, Tony Campers, is going to stay an extra day. And she will be our guest speaker that following Sunday on the 27th. Amen? Amen. If you will stand... And you will give glory to God by raising those hands. Hallelujah. And we're going to dismiss. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then you can go to bronze or you can go to whatever, one a classy restaurant or everything. Okay. But Father, we thank you and praise you and bless you, Father, for this day. We thank you, Father, for the word that has been shared. We thank you for the history of a great man of God and how we can learn from that and move forward, Father, and be strengthened and encouraged, Father, as never before. We thank you and bless you for the glory of God that resides within us and that that glory is released, Father God, to those who are around us throughout this week. And until we meet again, we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Go and make a difference in this world today.